Every time I come to a, a section of Scripture that talks about, if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. Every time I come to a passage of Scripture that talks about trials and testing and suffering and the like, I'm reminded of a very dear sister in Christ who is now gone a couple of years ago to be with her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And every time we would come to something like this, she would be like, it's, it, we always focus on trials and, and hardship in the life of the church. And, our, and I'm like, well, when you're in a church that preaches expositionally and as expositorily as you take a passage of Scripture and you work through it, guess what? Those that penned the Scriptures very often come to the trials that they experience, that they say we are going to experience, and they instruct us on how to respond to them when they come. And so today, Peter is coming back to, hey, look, don't be surprised when this kind of stuff comes on you. Don't let it surprise you because it must come. And uh, this morning as we were sitting uh, preparing for the service, the, uh, the worship team and the production crew um, Testing came up, the talks or regarding testing in college in particular. And, um, what, and, and Adrian asked, well, what's the rubric for testing? What's the syllabus for testing? And I remember, I remember freshman in college. I sit down in a class called the History of Civilization. So not a small subject, the History of Civilization. And I had never seen a syllabus before because my high school never passed them out, but I'd never seen a syllabus before. But when you're looking at the syllabus, you feel like this entire semester's worth of work has to be done tomorrow. And you're looking at all of the tests that are laced throughout the course of the semester. It was so completely intimidating, so completely intimidating for a guy that hates tests. Based on a standardized test in the fourth grade, they determined I couldn't read because all I did was fill in the bubbles because I didn't want to take the test. So they determined I couldn't read. They put me in Title I and treated me as though I couldn't. I hated tests. So here I am sitting freshman year of college looking at these tests that would come. And then, of course, the students before, the sophomores and the juniors and seniors that had already taken the course warned me of these inventories that were coming. So they would give you what, what seemed like 500 historical terms. Remember, history of civilization. How big is that? The history of all of civilization. And we're going to test you on this. It seemed like 500 words. It was probably more like 130, but still, 130 um, terms and, and, and things that happened throughout the course of history that we had to study and then they would take, of those 130, 140 or so, they would take 30. And you had to answer all of them. Essay. All right, we'll call it short essay. But essay nonetheless, it wasn't like multiple choice. It was essay. You had to remember what these 130 terms were, experiences were throughout the course of history, and you had to answer them in like two, three, four sentences. But here's what else I learned. If you got 20 right, two of these, you, you took two of these throughout the course of the semester. If you got 20 out of 30 on one of them, you could still pass the class. So guess what I was shooting for? That 66%. 
that said, one time, if I passed the first one, I didn't care about the second one because all I was shooting for was a D minus. I need to get through this class. Sorry, folks, this is your pastor. <laughs> From my 18 years of age, so that's, that's long gone. And we'll talk about other testing in my life in a moment. It's long gone, but I hate tests. I don't know about you. I understand that in our lives and relationship with Christ, that is small stuff, whether or not I can remember these historical terms. What counts, what true testing counts, is when we are tested in the Spirit. And here's, here's the challenge with that. None of us willingly walks into a test. Matter of fact, you, you take a look throughout the course of your life Everything you plan for, you plan for them to go the way you want them to go. And as you plan for them to go the way you want them to go, you are planning for pleasure, for ease, for things to go your way. There's no test involved there. You are not testing yourself to see your spiritual resolve and your spiritual worth. You're not doing it. First traveling experience I ever, I ever had with Wendy's family they wanted to drive through the night to Florida because my brother-in-law, their son and brother, lived in Florida. Here's my first Burke family test that put, was a challenge for me. Hey, we're going to drive through the night. I hate driving through the night. Can't do it. First test. So what did I do? I planned to be able to drive through the night. So the night before, I stayed up all night, and I slept from 7 to 2, and I got up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I made sure the vehicle was ready for the trip. Everything is packed. 4.30 is go time. Everything's in order. 4.30 is go time. 4.30 came the planner for things to go in accordance with my plan. 4.30 came. 4.30 went. 5.30 came. 5.30 went. 6.30 came. 6.30 went all the way up to 8.30. And I am shattered because my planning has all of a sudden been put to the test. Are you going to be able to endure this with your plan being shattered? Hey, look, I say that to say this. We don't plan to be tested. We plan to not be tested. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to accept that we are going to be tested, and it is necessary in our lives. If I can take you back to 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter starts us out with this. Chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy, so as he has invited you into relationship with him, the holy God, he says, you also must be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter is saying, look, those deepest, darkest corners of your heart that still carry sin around will not be exposed until you are put to the test. Testing must come to prove that we can be, that we will be holy in, our, in all of our conduct. And look, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and I take into account all of those that have tested me throughout the course of time, whether it's in school or, or life in general, here's what I know. Somebody has to put us to the test. 
to check our hearts and to see where we are. Somebody's got to do it. And there is no one better to do it than our creator and sovereign God who knows who we are and knows best what we need. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, and that for those who love God, this is what he's doing. He's working all things together for good, for your good, for my good, for the good of the church, for the glory of God. He's working all things together for good. So why shouldn't we trust him when he tests us? For those whom he foreknew, he determined that we, that you and I, would take on the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are not going to take on the likeness of Jesus Christ if everything goes in accordance with our plan because our sin will never be revealed. He plans and he is best at it because all the days ordained for you, all the days he determined for you, Psalm 139, he has written in his book before one of them came to be. He knows exactly what you need. He knows how to bring good out of it, and we should praise God for that. So today, we must learn that we have, we just, we have to embrace the test, like embrace it. Here it comes. Here it comes. Embrace it. I think of Jenny in the moment, Jenny Niebuhr. Right now, God is saying, I need you to embrace this because I'm going to bring this for good. I'm going to turn it for good. You just need to trust me in it. Embrace the test. Peter says, beloved, don't be surprised when this fiery trial comes on you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It shouldn't be a surprise. It should be expected. Sometimes it will feel like fire. Sometimes it won't. But don't treat it as though something strange were happening to you. Embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. And as you embrace it, here's what you can expect, that you will expect them to come. And the more and more they happen, this is what we're going to learn from Peter today, the more these things happen to you, the less surprised you are when they come and you don't treat them as though they're strangers to you because you are coming to be accustomed to the testing that the Lord brings into your life. They're going to teach you how to rejoice. Even in the midst of the trials that the Lord brings your way, he permits to come into your life, he causes even in it, you'll be able to rejoice. Gives us so many reasons to rejoice. And then, and then, as we declare our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we declare that, we are learning over and over and over. He's teaching us that he is worthy of our trust, not just our faith in him. So let's see what First Peter has to say, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. The end of the chapter. Read along with me, if you will, please. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will it be, or what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And 
If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Embrace the test. So, all right, testing is going to come, I suppose you're asking. So what in the world does it mean, Todd? What is Peter trying to communicate when you're telling me? He's saying, hey, look, embrace the test. Look at this. This is what it means. Here's, here's the first one, the first point Peter's trying to make. It means that you will expect the test, and you're not surprised by it. You're going to expect it, and you're not going to be surprised by it. Once again, look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, important, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The purpose of the fiery trial simply is that this is to test you. This short passage is declaring to us, Peter is saying, hey, look, there are two kinds of testings, two kinds of sufferings that you will experience throughout the course of your life in relationship with Christ. There is the test or there is the test or there is the suffering that you will experience as a result of living your life for the sake of Christ. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You are suffering for the sake of Christ according to the will of God. It's one form of suffering that comes from testing, but there is another that we, brothers and sisters in Christ, Peter says, beloved, so he's speaking with those who are in relationship with Christ. There's another kind of test and suffering that comes because we live in accordance with our will. So testing has to come. Is what you are enduring right now for the sake of Christ, is what you are enduring right now the result of your own sin that he is trying to uncover? Will I serve my will, or will I serve God's will? Will I serve my will, Peter says in verse 15, would be those who are suffering as a result of a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. And if you want to add to that list, bounce back up to verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3, there are those that live in sensuality, they're pursuing their own senses, they're satisfying their own passions, they are covering life with drunkenness, they are filling their life with debaucherous things like orgies, they attend drinking parties, they are involved in lawless idolatry, meaning they are serving everyone and everything except for God himself. That's the one, that's, that's the one that, re, that, that suffers as a result of their own will. Because we know later on, Peter says, it's time for judgment to come to the house of the Lord. Hey, look, if you're in relationship with Christ, here is a magnificent truth that we all need to accept. He's not going to let us continue in our sin. He's going to reveal it to us, and he's going to bring chastisement. He's going to bring discipline. He's going to bring correction because he doesn't want you and I to live in accordance with the desires of our own flesh. He wants us to live in accordance with him and his will. Will I serve God's will? Am I willing to share in the suffering, sufferings of Christ? Here's a, um, here's a real personal example. Uh, this past week, and I, look, I know I have a bunch of people praying for me all the time as I prep to preach and as I preach. 
And on Sunday mornings, I sit and I watch Jasper declare the Word of God, and I'm like, man, when he preaches, it seems like it comes so easily to him through his study. When we sit in sermon collaboration, he's like, I haven't had a lot of time with this passage, but let's walk through it right now. It's like the Lord has already printed on his mind and in his heart the word that he wants him to say, that God wants Jasper to say. And so I start out Monday. This is a very simple and clear and straightforward passage. It really is full of wonderful truth. And so I'm sitting Monday, Tuesday, interruptions here, interruptions there, but I had plenty of time. It's, it's Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, and I have a thousand things bouncing around my mind, and you think I could put it down in some sense sensible order that would make sense to, first of all, me, so that it can make sense to you, I couldn't get there. Hey, Todd, don't be surprised at the fiery test as I bring it on you. Don't be surprised because it must come. And so here I am at three o'clock in the afternoon. And man, I'll tell you what, I am glad no one else was in the building because I walked away from my computer. I put on my running clothes. So, by the way, if it's really messy out, this church is big enough that you can run for 30 minutes and vent. The Lord and I had, well, there's never a challenging time for the Lord. I had a challenging time with the Lord because I was angry with him. Fiery trial. What was my will? My will wanted the sermon to be done now so I don't have to fret over it all weekend. 310, and I'm listening to this guy read the Bible chronologically and trying to listen to that, and my mind keeps going to the sermon. And finally, after I had shaken my fist at the Lord saying, come on, God, give it to me. Show me how you want this to go. I see him in his most incredible and loving patience say, come on, how many times throughout the course of your life have I proven myself trustworthy? It's going to come. It's going to come. And in the moment, it was just like that. I didn't even have my Bible in front of me. I didn't, so if those of you who are like, man, Todd, I wish you would follow the Holy Spirit more. It's actually, it worked in that moment. So keep praying for that. The Holy Spirit of God just started to convict me. This is what I want you to say. This is how I want you to say it. There are people in the church that need to hear this. There are people in the church that need to hear that. And in the moment, test received Surprised, yes, but God proved himself faithful. It wasn't strange. It was necessary. Fiery trial. So think throughout the course of your life now about the fiery trials that you have had to endure, all right? We're going to come more and more to the importance of them in your life. But look, Peter says fiery trial. He used the word fiery. So you think about the hardest trial you have ever had to experience, all right? Hardest test fiery. Peter wrote this in A.D. 64. When he wrote fiery, the reader of his letter from A.D. 64 to at least A.D. 70 and beyond was literal. As Christians watched their loved ones be put on a pole, doused with oil, and set on fire for the entertainment of Nero, the Roman emperor. So when you read fiery trial, understand this. 
It was literally fiery. So as we measure the depth and the strength of the trials that the Lord permits to come our way, let's remember to praise God in the moment that it is not as hard as it could be, and we should be praying to God if it ever comes to that. May I be strengthened in my faith to the point where I can endure those things that you brought on those that came before me. James 1, 2-4 says that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of various kinds, knowing of many kinds, knowing that they are testing our faith, and our faith must be tested so that we would become mature and complete, not lacking anything. The mature and complete means that you are looking more and more and more like the person of Jesus Christ, holy in all of your conduct, just as God himself is holy. How do you do with surprises? Because we're not supposed to be surprised at the things that are happening to us. We shouldn't be surprised by them. He says, don't be surprised. I think about King David. I bet he was surprised when he walked out on the roof and he saw Bathsheba naked. Test for King David. The test is here. Surprise, naked woman. He failed, didn't he? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There was a naked woman referred to in the Bible. And David failed the test. He took her for himself. He wanted to hide it. So what did he do? He kills Bathsheba's husband, has him killed. He is confronted. He repents. Praise God for that. He failed the test. Surprise. Hey, think about the word surprise. What rubs away the surprise other than to be tested over and over and over and over again? Don't be surprised. Welcome the tests as they come. And I'm not suggesting that we pray for more and more and more testing, trust that God's going to bring them, but the more he tests you, the more spiritual resolve he provides for you so that when they come, you're not surprised. You're like, all right, here it is. God has proven himself to me. I'm gonna make my way through this with him because he has strengthened me and proves himself over and over. What happens more and more, the testing that happens more and more brings less surprise to us. Okay, that's the first one. All right, we've got to keep moving. We must expect the test. Absolutely. They're going to come and not be surprised by them. Here's what else it means to embrace God's testing. You will rejoice. It means that you will rejoice in the midst of the test. This is such a hard one, isn't it? Verse 13 says, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may be... you so that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. How in the world do I rejoice when tested? Why should I rejoice when I'm being tested? I'll look back at verse 13. You can rejoice because it helps you relate with the person of Jesus Christ more and more. Hey, when you come into relationship with Christ, you know him as your personal savior. You have read about him. You have heard about him. 
But as he walks you through your life, bringing test after test after test, he is showing you what it's like to suffer for the sake of Christ. He suffered for his own sake. Walk this earth completely pure, never sinned, yet insult after insult, mistreatment after mistreatment taken right up to the cross where he was beaten to death for your sake and for mine. He knows what it is to suffer for Christ's sake, for his own sake. But the more that God introduces us to testing, we begin to understand more and more what it was like for Christ to suffer. But the important thing is that we are suffering for the sake of Christ in accordance with his will and not our own. It helps you relate with Christ. The word insofar is a very intriguing word for me. The New American Standard says to the degree. The NIV says in as much as you participate. So Peter's saying, hey, look, as much as you are willing to step out in faith and suffer for the sake of Christ, as you do that, he's going, to, he's going to knit you together with the person of Jesus Christ because you are going to now be able to relate more and more and more with his suffering. Paul says, I so desperately want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know him so much that I share together with him and his sufferings. It helps you relate with Christ. Keep in mind, there is suffering as a result of doing God's will. There is suffering as you pursue your will. I know a young man in his workplace that he has a, it's a, it's a salary plus commission. In this salary plus commission, he was told up front, if you sell this, if you sell this, if you sell this, you will make commission. And of course, your paycheck twice a month as you sell will be bigger and bigger depending on how much you sell. But here's what he learned throughout the course of his first month. In order for me to sell those like the other guys around me, I must, must be dishonest. I must take advantage of the customer. I must bend the truth. I must lie. And after a while, his boss came to him and said, I want you to do this. And he said, no. I, I was clear with you in the interview. I will not do that. I am not driven by money. Praise God for the soul that the Lord has given that young man. I won't do it. And I told you that up front. Because it's immoral, it's wrong, and in his heart he's saying it's not a reflection of the person of Christ. I choose, he's saying, in essence, I choose to suffer as Christ suffered. Insult me all you want, withhold money all you want, but I'm going to choose to live in Christ-likeness. You can rejoice in the midst of suffering because it helps you relate with the person of Jesus Christ. Also, here's another one. Look at verse 14. It provides assurance of salvation. Verse 14, if you are insulted, you're not going to be insulted for the sake of Christ if you never provide the opportunity to come to be insulted for the sake of Christ. So if you are exalted um, for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Why are you blessed? Peter says, because the Spirit the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What 
an incredibly significant and eternal truth for you and I to receive. Hey, if we're insulted for the sake of Christ, that is proving that the Spirit of God is in you and that God rests upon you. And if He is in you and He rests upon you, you are suffering with Christ. And it is, and it is an expression of salvation. Because who's going to suffer for the name of Christ except for the Christian? The non-Christian doesn't care. He doesn't care. Only the believer in Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, is, wor- is, is ready to receive an insult for the sake of Christ. You are blessed because the Spirit of God and of, or the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Look at this one. Here's another one. How do I rejoice when tested? How do I ju- rejoice? Rejoice because it's purifying you. It's purifying you. Verse 15 says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Suffering for sin is a test. So if you choose to suffer in this way, remember, Peter's talking to you, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, when he says, beloved, beloved. He's saying, this message is for you. If you are choosing to live in accordance with your will and suffer the result of sin, which is God's correction, the result that comes from your suffering as you sin is God's correction, understand this, that you are being put to the test and he is using this to purify you and to make you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It reveals the dark corners of your heart that cause the unnecessary suffering. God's will, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, is this, is God's, <laughs> God's will for you is that you would be sanctified, is that you are purified, is that you are made into the likeness of Christ. So receive the correction that comes when you don't live in accordance with his will. And know that he is using that to purify you and to make you into the likeness of Christ. It purifies you. Here's here's one more. How do I rejoice when tested? You can rejoice when tested because it provides confidence to stand before Christ. Look at verse 13. Once again, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Corey spoke to it as he was sharing with us, glory is revealed. The moment that he gains victory over a sin issue in in your life is an expression of the glory of God working in and through you. But there is a moment coming, brothers and sisters in Christ, when the fullness and the completeness of his glory is going to be revealed when he returns. And as, the, as you permit God to have his way in your heart, you take on the likeness of Christ. Every motive of your heart becomes pure that you want to serve him and him alone. You will be able to stand with confidence before Christ. Read verses 17 and 18 with me. For the time for judgment, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18 says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, yikes, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be or what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
You and I today can stand with confidence before God himself because of Christ Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He has removed, when you come to a relationship with him, he has removed the condemnation that God the Father has for the sinner. And he has taken the condemnation of God the Father on himself so that you and I don't have to receive it. So we can stand with confidence. Judgment is happening in your heart as you experience the discipline that the Lord brings when we live in accordance with our own will. Judgment is happening for us. But as you read this, as you read this, it's time for judgment to begin. When you read these verses, how do you, like, how do you think about how you respond emotionally? What starts to well up inside of you? Who do you think of the most when you read this? I praise God that he has removed my condemnation from me. When I read this, it is time for judgment to begin. And I read also that you and I are scarcely saved. Scarcely saved, which is a weird statement because the size of the cross is so big and we enter in through relationship with the Christ because of what he did on the cross for us. Scarcely saved. Praise God, we are saved. But what happens to the unbeliever? Here's where my head goes. Praise God that I can stand righteous before him because of the cross. But, remember last week, who are those now that we are fasting and praying over God? They stand opposed to you. I desperately want to live a life in front of them. I want to speak in such a way that they are provoked to believe in Jesus because the day of judgment is coming where you and I will stand in glory with Jesus Christ and those who haven't come into relationship with him receive the full judgment of God the Father and will not be scarcely saved but will be condemned forever and ever. You and I can stand with confidence, and we should be praying for the souls of those who stand opposed to God. Peter is telling us we should expect the test. Don't be surprised by it. We should expect it. There are so, so many reasons why we can rejoice in the midst of and because of tests. Peter is sharing a few with, he, with us here. And if, I, if it was up to me, I would have preached this one verse. What does it mean to embrace God's testing? Here's what it means. You will trust in the one in whom you place your faith. Look at verse 19. This is such a powerful verse. Such a powerful verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Remember, someone has to test you. Why not let it be the holy, sovereign, perfect God? We sit in this room. We sit over coffee with one another. And it is easy for us to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ with all my heart. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I believe and I know. 
But when the test comes, it challenges our ability to trust the very one we claim to have faith in. How do you know who to trust? And how do you know when to trust them? Like, I think about, I think about coming into relationship with, with my wife. I think about coming into relationship with my late wife. You're like, I'm not, I'm not willing to commit trust to this individual right away. But as the emotions start churning, guess what you're ready and free and willing to do? Yep, I'll trust you with anything. Anything and everything. I trust you completely. Then you get married. And then all of a sudden, the testing comes that reveal you're a mess and you don't even know it. And pity the woman that has to be used by God to reveal to me how messed up I am. And all of a sudden, the trust factor starts to crumble in the relationship. We come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, and Peter says, hey, don't be surprised when he brings testing into your life. It is necessary to prove to you that he is worthy of your trust. You will not know that he is worthy of your trust without being tested. Why? If you're not tested, guess what? The trip to Florida is smooth and easy. But the moment it's introduced, testing is introduced, I'm being provided the opportunity to say, God, I trust in you completely. The more tests he walks you through, the more suffering you endure, the more you're able to look back and see how he has proven, the creator God has proven himself to be faithful over and over and over again. Next test, all right, all right, God, I get it. You've proven to me. I'm going to be at peace in the midst of this test. I'm not going to be anxious about it. I'm going to trust you in it because, once again, you have proven yourself here. You have proven yourself here with the loss of this loved one, with the loss of that loved one, with that sickness diagnosis, with this challenging sermon to preach, with this, and the list goes on and on and on. He proves himself in the midst of testing. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust our souls to him as we profess our faith in him. What a magnificent thing to think that God loves you and I so much that he would care to walk with us through the deepest and darkest valleys of testing in our lives. I praise God for his forever and ongoing presence. Expect the test, church. Rejoice in the midst of it and trust in the one in whom you place your faith. Here's the goal. James 1 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person is going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's the goal. Eternity with Christ as he has brought us in to forever and lasting physical presence with him. Praise God for his testing. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for putting us to the test. Thank you for remaining with us in them. Thank you for your patience. 
Lord, even now I'm supposing there are those here that are, um, that are challenged to trust you. We pray, God, that you would, um, Lord, that your conviction would be on their hearts, that you would draw them deeper and deeper into understanding who you are and your magnificent love for them. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.